0: Hey, folks, Adam Summer here with a quick reminder. You can find Dirt Road Democrat here on the Heartland Pod channel or on the Dirt Road Democrat's very own channel. Maybe you're already listening to it on the Dirt Road Democrat channel, in which case, good for you. Would you share it with everybody that you know, put it on your social media, or text it to your friends that you know also listen to the show? Make sure they know that Dirt Road Democrat has its own channel that you need to subscribe to, and hit the automatic download button. That way you make sure you never miss an episode. We're going to leave it here on the Heartland Pod channel for a while, but eventually it's going to be all by itself on its very own channel in just a few weeks. So make sure that you get subscribed and click the download button. And if you're a real one, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and re-download. Because, you know, why not? All right, let's get to Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper.
1: Hi friends, my name is Jess Piper, and this is a Dirt Road Democrat. On this episode, I'll be talking to Missouri Representative and House Minority Leader, Crystal Quaid. This show is brought to you by the Heartland Pod and our Patreon supporters. To learn more and join us, go to heartlandpod.com and click the Patreon link to get signed up to support my show and others in the Heartland Pod family to get bonus content and special access for events. You can follow me on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I'm Piper from Missouri. On TikTok, you can find me at JustPiperMo. And be sure to follow the Heartland Pod on all accounts. Well, you know what I do for a living, and that is trying to fund candidates. Uh, trying to put a candidate, a Democratic candidate, on every ballot, on in every district, you know, across the state of Missouri. And today, I'm talking to the minority leader, Crystal Quaid, uh, after her announcement that she's going to be running for governor. And y'all, I am really excited about the prospect of her candidacy. She has been a great leader in Missouri. You know, um, you can look at the bills that she proposed. You can look at the things that she really fought for in Missouri. And it was for regular folks. It was, you know, she was working towards child care and public education and making sure that kids are fed. And I think this goes back to the fact that she was trained and worked as a social worker. Uh, Which reminds me a lot of, you know, when you see teachers that run for office, their focus is really on the next generation, making sure that we are taking care of our children. And that means a lot in a state like Missouri, where we have a GOP supermajority who, um, air quotes, protect children. But what they actually do is uh, strip them of, you know, health insurance, making sure that they can't qualify for Medicaid. Um, we just had our governor return over $42 million that was supposed to go to hungry kids. We see them defund our public schools and try to pass voucher schemes. You know, all of this. Oh, and attacking trans kids, right? I mean, that was the whole uh, MO of of the last session. So it's so refreshing to talk to a politician Who actually cares about the next generation? She says she cares. She proved she cares. And I hope you'll stay for this, you know, kind of short interview uh, with the woman who could be the next governor of Missouri. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dirt Road Democrat. And as you can see, I have someone special joining me today. This is Missouri Representative Crystal Quaid. She is also the minority floor leader, and she just so happens to be running for governor in Missouri. Hello, Crystal. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for, thanks for staying. Thanks for not driving in the car. And, <laughs> and are you in a hotel room right now?
0: I am. Yes. <laughs> it's always
1: whenever I would have to do that, I'd be like, I'm going to have to ask to stay late so I can do this zoom. Right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so thank you
1: so much for joining for us.
0: Me. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So tell, um tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from and um you know, what you've done for the last eight years.
0: Yes, so I grew up in Southwest Missouri in Webster County, if anyone's familiar, I lived in Fordland, um, went to school at Logan Um, and I uh, moved to Springfield uh, to go to college. Um, I grew up in a family that um, the first kind of first half of my childhood, my mom was a single parent. She's a waitress, Um, and then when she got remarried to my stepfather, uh, moved us out to um, what we called the middle of nowhere, uh, which was really great for us. Um, Because of my dad's good factory job, I was the first in my family to graduate high school. Um, And then I went to Missouri State because it was the closest college that I knew about and (laughs) very grateful that I did um, because I never left Springfield. I absolutely love Springfield. It's my home. Um, My background is in social work. Um, I'm a mom of three and I have been in the legislature for the past six years. I've got one year left um, and or excuse me, I've been seven years. I've got one year left. And of those, I've spent um, five of them as the Democratic floor leader. So it's been a really great experience.
1: It has been. Um, I've enjoyed watching you. And you talk about the fact that you're a social worker. And I promise you, I can tell through the bills that you file and the folks that you fight for um, that you are a social worker because it feels something like when I see teachers that become legislators, right? You seem to be really concerned about children. And in Missouri, we hear a lot about our uh, GOP supermajority being concerned about children. And I put that in air quotes because their bills and the things that they try to accomplish don't actually help kids. Can you tell me more about um, some of the bills maybe that you filed and how you feel that we really can help kids in Missouri?
0: Yeah, so I definitely went into um, my role in the legislature as exactly that, to your point of I'm a social worker. I became a social worker because I wanted to help families like my own and, and the interactions that I had experienced as a kiddo. And so, yeah, some of the bills I filed have dealt with child care, accessibility, and affordability. I um, have filed you know, free breakfast and lunch at school for kids. Um, I've done um, a lot in the um, health care space. And when I became floor leader, um, my hat kind of transitioned a little bit because then at that point we're... All, um, you know, needing to make sure that all of the democratic values are really put forward, the things that the party stands for. And so I have handed off a lot of bills. You might have seen some people file the same bills that I filed originally. Um, but then this past couple of years, I've really tried to, while still focusing on children and the things that um, sent me to Jefferson City, um, really digging into um, our state as a whole, and looking at investments in ways that we can be improving our state. Um, I am one of the several Democrats who filed um, the no foreign ownership of ag land um, bill. And I've done some some things in the um, sunshine space of transparency for government. Um, and so kind of an array of things, but definitely to my core, it is childcare and, and child uh, welfare issues.
1: So I live in a child care desert, and I'm sure you're familiar that much of Missouri is in a child care desert. I had to drive 20 miles out of my way to to find someone to take care of my daughter. We not we don't have access to um, a lot of preschool here. Um, we had a hospital that consolidated. It used to have 180 spaces for children. And when we consolidated because we didn't expand Medicaid, right? And so my local hospital had to consolidate with a larger one. Uh, they shut the daycare center so 180 people in my community lost access to childcare. What are some things that that you would do as governor um to help people like me in rural
0: communities and and you know, one third of Missouri is rural. What can we do? Yeah, uh, the first thing I will say I, is I, I am appreciative that we're starting to see the conversation shift a little bit to this not being a partisan issue, but everyone understanding, oh my gosh, this is a problem. You know, we saw the Missouri Chamber of Commerce come out and make child care um, one of their priorities this past year. So really grateful that that transition is starting to happen, but we're not getting anything done. <laughs> and so, you know, the Governor Parson um, proposed a couple tax credits this year that I thought were a great first step, but by no means would solve the problem, right? So when we talk to folks on the ground, what is the biggest issue when it comes to child care? It's kind of twofold. It's one, finding enough staff to work at a child care facility. You know, child care workers make sometimes minimum wage, mm-hmm. if that, um, you know, and have way too many kiddos than what they probably feel safe doing. And so we need to really be digging into how can we better employ these people and pay them. Um, and I personally would like to look at child care providers And in the same space as kind of our education realm and our our teachers, who are also the lowest paid in the country, we need to be paying them living wages. But this is a, a space where you know, Jess, that this is one of the most important things to the development of a child is making sure that their early years are cared for, and that they have the support that they need and are safe and fed and all of those things. And we are not not giving the folks who provide this care um, the respect and and the lifestyle that they need to continue. So that's kind of step one for me is how can we look at this as an investment in our state to help with the pay, the employee rate of these, these folks so that we can actually get qualified people to be working in these spaces. The second piece of that is they don't exist. And so not only do we not have the employees, we also don't have the infrastructure for these childcare centers. So really digging in and looking at um, this in multiple ways. It's one where um, businesses are. How do we provide on-site child care, you know, at our, at our factories, at our places that employ lots of people, our schools, our hospitals? Um, what can the government be doing to help incentivize employers to have on-site child care as a benefit for the employees and looking at it that way? Um, I do think the tax credits that Governor Parson presented, um, we should continue going down that space as well. And then I would also like to look at our education training for these folks. Like, can we incentivize young people to go into early childhood as a career path and what can we do from the state side to fund that and to try to entice people to want to actually get into that field because it's hard work. It's really tough.
1: It is. And uh, you were talking about education. You mentioned there that Missouri is 50th in teacher pay and 49th in educational funding. And I live close to Maryville and we have a university there that produces a whole lot of teachers for this state. We have a great education department at Northwest. When you go to the recruiting fairs, the kids are walking right past the education department. They are walking right past and going somewhere else. And Crystal, I'm scared. Um, Because I still have a kiddo, and then I have grandkids in this state. I know, because I was a teacher for 16 years, I had a master's degree and walked out making $41,000 a year. Um, It's not sustainable. There are people in my community, um, you know, new teachers coming in. It's a revolving door at our rural school because the pay is so low. You know, they might walk out, you know, making $1,400, $1,500 a month after their retirement is taken out what are we going to do about this situation? I feel like, and you know this too, they're trying to privatize education. So they have purposely defended it. Where do we go? Where do we start? And how can we take our, you know, our schools back?
0: Yeah. And I, I love that you talk about this so often, because as you know, we have, uh, what is it over 160 schools now are on four day school weeks. That also compounds the childcare problem that we were previously talking about. Everything is so inter in related there. And I think that it's, I think the answer for me is twofold. Um, One, we need a government who cares about public education, and we need a governor who makes it a priority to not only just say that we funded it, which we're not funding it, air quotes there for folks listening. Uh, We changed the way that we fund uh, several before I was in Jefferson City so that we're not actually funding it, but we need elected officials who want to make it a priority. I know, you know, folks in rural uh, Missouri know that our schools are the hub of those communities. People either work there, the community center, you know, that it is the community center. We have the picnics there. Um, Oftentimes in in some of our towns, it is one of two employers in the entire town. I know where I lived, we had a gas station, a diner and the school (laughs) and uh, later got a dollar general. But that's um, that is how our small towns are. And if we're not investing in our schools, those towns are going to continue to collapse. And so one is electing folks who understand that. The second piece of this and this, you know, to your core is we have got to, energize folks in the bottom up. We need those folks in those communities to say my school is too important to let you continue to do this. Um, And that's a hard thing to do, right? Folks are just trying to survive and to have the time to write their elected officials to get angry and to to show up in these spaces is hard for folks. But if we don't have both of those at the same time, I am also worried um, that that, that the continuation of the privatization is going to be a real thing because Unfortunately, we have a lot of greedy people who want to make money off everything and education is the next bucket that they're going after.
1: It is. And it, it almost feels like class warfare at this point. I mean, you know that I, I went, I know what's happening, and I know that there is a company in Missouri that is flying in Betsy DeVos's, you know, um Hired hand to come and privatize, and they're meeting in these wealthy spaces, and these are wealthy people, and they are taking away days from the, you know, people in my district from their kids' school. um But when they defund schools, that means my kid, she's one of sixteen in her class. It means they don't get new textbooks. It means they don't have new playground equipment. It means that they can't go on field trips. And these people are laughing. Crystal, I've, I, they, they posted pictures of them laughing about what they're doing. And I wonder if when you knock doors, when I knock doors, people said, I love my school. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you hear the same thing in Springfield and how you think that there is a way, is it just deep canvassing? How do we get people to recognize what's going on?
0: Yeah, education is still the one of the top issues when I knock doors in Springfield. And when I first ran in 2016, you know, it was a very contentious year in Washington. And I would not I knock Republican doors, Democrat doors, everybody. And, you know, they'd lump me in with Hillary Clinton and they'd start saying some stuff about D.C. And every time that that went that path went happened in the conversation, I would say, listen, what's going on in D.C. isn't impacting us. I'm running because I'm a mom. And I've got three kiddos in public schools, and I want to make sure that our schools are the strongest in our state. And I would say that, folks, and bring it right back, because does not matter where you are in the political spectrum. A good quality education for our community is important to everyone. And I still, you know, all these years later, when I'm knocking doors, it is one of the number one things that I hear about. Um, we're really lucky in Springfield. We have the largest district in the state. And we have a community that really cares about our district. We've done early childhood education at our school for several years now. Uh, We do free breakfast in the classroom for our kids. You know, we, we have a community that has a lot of business support and a lot of nonprofit support that really invest and pick up the pieces where the government is failing in our schools. But we're lucky and we're the third largest city in the state. And so we're able to do that. Um, but other communities don't look like Springfield and they're not able to have these really cool choice programs within the school district and all of these extras that, that we get to have. And um, I think it's so important that, you know, as a lawmaker, one of the things I try to do is showcase my amazing public school system and all of the opportunities that my kiddos get to have because of the community I live in with all the businesses and all the faith-based support and all of that. And show them, like, this is what a public school could look like if yeah. we actually all invested and made made this a priority. And so a lot of times I'll actually ship in legislators from other places and be like, come look at this really cool program we've got at our science center or whatever it is that, you know, I want to show folks.
1: I saw on the paper that you guys just opened a middle school for performing arts and my heart, <laughs> I was like, Okay, Springfield, it's only five hours of drive. Maybe we could just get an (laughs) apartment
0: and come I mean, that's that example where we can, we have this fabulous partnership with our business community and our public school system where they're merging together and our businesses are supporting that financially. Like, why are we not incentivizing businesses across the entire state to invest like that and and find, it's not all about government dollars. Folks say Democrats just want to throw money at things. Springfield is a great example of where we have those partnerships that doesn't cost additional taxpayer money, but our kids are getting the services that they need and having thriving educations, which is really cool,
1: yeah, it's amazing, so I just saw something that uh kind of um just it was tough to read. I saw a weatherman from uh, the Florida Keys uh, do his weather report, and he said, "You know folks." I'm afraid that we're at the point of no return. The ocean in the Keys is 101 degrees right now, and uh, it just sends shivers down your spine when you have kids and grandkids. What What are some things that you'd like to see happen in Missouri for you know working towards um, reversing or at least stabilizing climate change?
0: Um, I hope to get very soon to a conversation of being proactive. Yeah. But Missouri, as you know, is so far behind in terms of our regulations and the way that we do things from, you know, in my time in Jeff City, uh, the rollbacks of uh, factory farm regulations and not allowing local control around our CAFOs so that, um, with, and folks who are listening who have no idea what I'm talking about, Jefferson City, uh, in its infinite wisdom, decided that local um, health departments and local elected officials shouldn't have a say in how factory farms uh, pollute the environment around them. And so we took away their powers a few years ago. And um, that's, one of the many examples that we have in our state where we are so far behind that having a conversation about being proactive um, and really doing um, some serious work to make our state better, um, there's just a huge disconnect there, right? And so I think one of the first things as governor that I would like to do is is to prioritize those reversals that need to happen immediately. They should have happened years ago. Um, And that's kind of step one in terms of what the government can be doing is just bring us back to where we should have been. Um, And then, yes, hopefully we can get Innovative. You know, the Biden administration has invested billions of dollars into moving our coal power plants off of coal, um, investing in on the ground um, ways to, you know, make, weatherize people's homes, you know, and encourage co ops to, to transition. And there's a ton of money coming through the IRA um, and new era, and we could get into the weeds of all of that. But Missouri, unfortunately, is not in a space where we're ready to accept that money and actually invest it in ways that make serious change and so step one is getting us to our our neighboring states who are ready to take some of that money and make serious investments um i think that's that's such a huge part of it but again my answer is going to be the same as it was for education a big piece of that is getting folks on the ground ready to have that discussion you know so much of missouri is um, our our energy systems are through rural co-ops. You know, I live in a municipi- municipally owned electrical uh, system, but most of Missouri is not. And mm-hmm. folks don't know that as a co-op member, you are a voting member to decide yeah. what the policies are for your energy system. And if you want to move away from coal, get into renewable spaces, you actually have a vote as a person who just lives there, right? And so a big piece of that is education on the ground of empowering people to demand those changes from the the boards um, and make those investments on a local level.
1: Thank you for saying that, because that's something actionable that we can say. We we are voting members. You talked about something a minute ago, um, and you've you've alluded to it a couple times. We don't have the infrastructure to do the things we knew that we need to do, and we saw that when Governor Parsons sent back forty two million dollars that was meant to feed hungry kids. Crystal, (laughs) he sent it back, and our federal money goes to other states, right? We also saw this when people like me, my um, my social security number, my husband's social security number was put out on the internet. And when a reporter pointed that out, the governor went after the reporter. What are we going to do to make sure that we have systems ready to accept money and then, you know, disperse it out to people who are vulnerable?
0: Yeah, I would say, just that was when I got to Jeff City, there were a few things that shocked me. <laughs> yeah. And one of them was our horrendous IT infrastructure, and my kiddo's dad is owns an IT business, so I know like just enough to be dangerous about <laughs> about IT. But I'm in there, and we still have state government systems running off of MS DOS. And for young people who might be listening to you, they have no <laughs> idea what that means. But but the, the lack of investment from us as a legislature in just bringing us up to up to 2023, I mean, in terms of technology, is is really gross. And it will take a serious investment of money. There are federal programs to help us with that. Um, But that is a thing that again, we need to be making a priority. Um, And and it is hard. I mean, I will say it's tough as a legislator to be like, yeah, let's invest money in ourselves and the way that government functions. But we have to be big, big picture about that. And you're exactly right, that example of food. So not only this year, did we just reject the money, Last year, we tried to accept the money and it took us a year to start funneling out food dollars to kids who need it. And I think that's why the administration said, you know, it took us a year last time we're not doing it this time. It was just too much work. We're seeing again with the Medicaid um, kickoff of kids. So this is the third year that when we've done Medicaid renewals, we are just kicking off hundreds of thousands of children from health care coverage. It's going to be six months before half of those kids get back on, and that's because we don't have internal systems that, are, that have us in the century we need. And that just comes from, again, a, a government of 20 years of folks just not wanting to invest in Missouri, and instead we're given tax cuts here and corporate tax cuts there, instead of actually looking at the big picture of where our state is.
1: You know, it reminds me of when my husband, we just did a few remodels and he wanted to put in like insulation and new windows. And I'm like, but I want to, you know, to reside the house so that I can see the difference. But it's so important to have, you know, new windows, you know, for energy efficiency and insulation. So, right. They've neglected these things to make the outside shiny while, you know, everything else is sort of falling apart and speaking of falling apart (laughs) let's talk about uh bodily autonomy in missouri and what the hell we're going to do this is something besides education that enrages me as a woman as a mom as a grandma to girls this just sets me on fire what we've done we were the first state, right after Roe fell eric schmidt couldn't get in front of a camera fast enough right to sign (laughs) to sign our you know our rights away um what do you have to say about this? What can we do?
0: Yeah. The first thing I will say is like have, being one of the people who was in Jefferson city when uh, house, when that bill was passed in 2019. Um, and then being there, of course, when Roe fell and saw seeing the triggers, knowing that that was going to come for years, just sitting on it, you know? Um, but what I want folks to know is even before that, Missouri was one of the most restrictive states in the entire country to get access to care. Um, and so folks in Missouri have been struggling with this for a very, very long time. Um, mostly, notably low income. And in in, rural. in rural Missouri yep. <laughs> um, have been suffering through this. Um, and, and you can look at teen birth rates and all of those things all, of course, are correlated. Um, so now here we are, 2023. And you literally have to drive across state lines Uh, to get access to abortion care. And then we have an attorney general who just signed on the federal level, which hasn't gotten a lot of news saying that they want to track women who are leaving our state to go to other states to get care. He he thinks that we should be tracking that. Um, Anyway, we could go on and on about all of this. But the reality is, is not only are we seeing now folks having to travel so they're not, it's not accessible. We are also seeing doctors turn away patients when they are miscarrying because they are not close enough to death for them to care to provide health care. We are seeing hospitals close maternity wards uh, in North County. We just had one close a couple weeks ago because we don't have doctors who want to provide care in our state. They are too scared to actually work in the state of Missouri because they're fearful that they are going to get some sort of penalization, if not criminalized over this, right? So we are seeing this hit in so many different ways. Then from an economic standpoint, not only are we struggling with doctors, young people don't want to move to a state that they don't have control over their family planning. They simply do not want to. We could throw on all the LGBT issues on top of that. And so what do we do? That's a long rant to just say okay here we are folks know that there are groups a coalition of amazing organizations trying to get access to abortion on the ballot for 2024 the Republicans have thrown up every roadblock possible um, to try to stop that from happening. Um, but it's still moving through the courts and we continue to win. Um, and I want folks to know um, everything that I'm being told, as long as we get this out by a certain time period, which we are still in a decent window, that we will have enough time and enough money to get the signatures to get this done. Um, but the Republicans are trying everything they can to stop at. So so that's step one, is that if we get this to signature gathering phase, we need everybody and everyone they know to help us gather signatures in a short window of time to get that on the ballot. Then the second piece of this is, um, you know, the ballot initiative, we know um, it will pass if it gets on the ballot. But yep. we also know the Republican lawmakers are going to turn around and try to take that away from us, just like they yep. did with Medicaid, right to work and everything else. Um, and so the second piece of that is we have to and you know this more than I do, uh, just as much as I do, we have to elect people who actually care about respecting people's uh, privacy and their business and keeping politicians out of the doctor's offices. And again, that is not a partisan issue. I have knocked so many doors in Springfield and other places. I not I, I tell the story often, but you know, when we knock doors, we know we have a general idea of where folks are on the political spectrum. We get the ages and a bunch of other creepy information about people, and so <laughs> I, I went to, it was one of my first candidates, this uh, last election cycle, I knocked on a door of a 60, late 60s, older white man who identifies as a Republican. And I asked him, I said, hey, I'm your state rep what do you want me paying attention to this year? And he goes, abortion. And I got ready, you know, I got ready for the, for the Republican yes. conversation. About that. And then he was like, and I told him, I said, listen, you know, this is where I stand. And he goes, that's not enough. You need to be doing more. This is insane. (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. Um, But i had so many conversations this last election cycle with self-identified Republicans who are just done. They are done with this overreach. They want government out of their business. And that's why, you know, the Republicans know that we're going to win when we get it to the ballot box, but we've got to do both
1: they do know that and you're right I was knocking on very rural doors I had I walked in a town of 1800 people and I had a woman from one side of the street and a woman from the other side of the street run down to the street to talk to me and tell me that they were voting for me because of abortion rights because that is something that they're concerned about and I wonder if you can speak to the fact that Missouri it feels like um we under the supermajority majority we've kind of quit governing it feels like it's a culture war it's a book ban it's an abortion ban it's a trans kid it's blue hair and (laughs) when it comes down to it crystal they can't i know they can't scoop snow off of my road you know because it's chip and seal because if i meet a combine coming down the road i've got no shoulder to get off on that's that's the state of what's going on out here but when i knock doors you know it's it's that disconnect And and you know that they just like you said they'll come out and say you know biden whatever and you're like friend he, Biden doesn't know where Burlington Junction is. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. can we talk about um, like how can, we can get back to real governance and let this other stuff just kind of go?
0: I mean, I like this question a lot because honestly, just this, that, it, the lack of governing is why I decided to run for governor. You know, this was not in my plan yeah. <laughs> to be doing this right now, um, but I remember standing on the house floor this year um, when we were having a stupid debate over diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I knew this bill was just wild and it wasn't going to actually make it through. But um, when I, when I was just listening to this chaos and I'm like, the Missourians deserve so much more than this. Yeah. The amount of bills that we passed this year was 43, which is the lowest in my lifetime outside of the year of COVID when we took six weeks off. And yeah, as a Democrat in a super minority, no bills is good, right? You know, <laughs> I usually when they're passing all their agenda, I don't agree with a lot of it. And fortunately, almost all the bills that passed this year, I did agree with ex- outside of two. But as a citizen, when I take politics out of it, how frustrating yeah. that we send these folks there for 5 months out of the year we pay you know all of this money and all that happens in Jefferson City is exactly as you said, it's culture wars. It's people yelling about whatever, trying to get the next video clip for their next campaign. They're trying to get you cornered to say something stupid for the next campaign, and they're not doing anything that actually invests in Missouri. We are still, again, the lowest paid teachers in the country, the 49th in school funding. We have the lowest paid state workers in the entire country, even after giving them a pay raise. We still you know, have the highest, one of the highest infant mortality, maternal mortality rates in the entire country, Um, you know, parallel to third world countries. We have our hospitals closing, you know, the list goes on and on. And Missouri is such an amazing place. I mean, you know that we have so much to offer our country. We are in the middle of the entire country and can be a, a much better transportation hub. There are so many things that we could be doing. And instead, our lawmakers are just blowing smoke, doing whatever they want to win the next election instead of actually caring about our state. And that is why I decided to jump in because I'm just tired of it. I'm, I I came, I, I grew up in rural Missouri, but I'm a Democrat and my parents are Trump voting Republicans. Like I, we need to get back to a space where we can actually be talking to each other yeah. and actually past public policy that helps people. And we're not doing that. We haven't been doing that in a really long time and I'm just sick of it.
1: I know, me too. Everything you've said, everything, none of it has been divisive. None of it has been to just piss somebody off so you can, you know, own them. (laughs) Um, And so I wonder how we get back to the space where we can elect a Democrat to the governor's office, because that's that's a huge deal. I mean, we need Democrats obviously running. We know that we have trouble. Forty percent of the seats are uncontested. And trust me, after you run out here, you kind of see you know why that happens, because it's it's uh, taken on something that you know you probably won't win and doing it anyway. Right. Um, how can we how can we keep making progress as Democrats in this state?
0: Yeah, I, I love that question so much um, because My answer to you is it has to be a both and of all the things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, firsthand. But when I ask candidates to run in a lot of our, our districts, it's, hey, you're gonna lose. Yeah. But I need you to run. I need you to run twice. I need you to, you know, here's your goal. And and at the local level, a lot of it is redefining what it means to win. Yeah. A win is not necessarily flipping a seat. A win is moving the margins one or two points. The yeah. win is exactly what you did, where you get hundreds of thousands of followers and we can talk about issues that actually matter. That's a win, right? It's not always flipping a seat. Um, that said, we do have tons of seats that are in the window of margin that we can win um, in both the House and the Senate. I 100% believe we will break the supermajority this year. We're only three seats away in the House. And we had just more fun numbers. We had seven seats last cycle in the House that were lost by less than 300 votes. And a lot of those candidates are running again. And so we are already set to break that majority. But then we do have to be looking at these statewide offices. And when I first ran in 2016, we had a Democratic governor. It was not that long ago that we had all of the statewide except for one and so we need to be it's it, for me it's a both end of turning out the cities and giving them a reason to show up. We have extremely low voter turnout in both Kansas city and St. Louis and green County where I'm from. In a good year, I get 24% in my district, which is not enough. So we need to be turning out voters. We need to be registering the almost a million people who could vote, who are not voting. Um, we need to be doing that. But then we also need to be showing up in rural Missouri. We know just when you do the math, even the best year in the cities, we still have to have close to 400,000 roll votes in Missouri to win statewide. You just have to, and so we it makes it tough as Democrats I think because we're not sure what messaging we do because it's like the cities and the rules but you know as well as I do feeding your kids is an issue whether you live in St. Louis City or whether you live in Webster County great having, having quality schools is an issue no matter where you are access to health care and doctors who actually listen to you is an issue no matter where you are right and so for me, it's going to be about getting back to basics and talking about this government overreach, the intrusion on our rights that they continue to attack, no matter, again, where you fall on the political spectrum. It's a problem. And the fact that we're not investing in Missouri anymore is, is a real thing. And um, I think I, I 100% believe that there is a pathway out of this. I wouldn't keep doing this work if I didn't. Um, the legislature is going to take a minute. We can't t- flip it overnight. But right. those statewides we can. And so, again, we have to be looking at both of these at the same time.
1: I, um, you are like a mirror for me right now. Everything <laughs> you're saying is absolutely what I believe. And it's worth it, right? Even, mm-hmm. even when we know that we can't win, it's worth it to show up and say, people are worth it. You know, we don't have to, to live the way that we're living. And you said it yourself. Missourians deserve better, right? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I'm. I'm so happy that you joined me here. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners, you know, a pitch or um, tell us, you know, how we can find you and and, um, how we can find more about your message?
0: Yes. So uh, my website is easy. It's my name, crystalquade.com. And I am on every social, including the new, (laughs) like I'm everywhere. I represent a college (laughs) town, so I have to be on all the platforms. Um, But, but the one thing that I would, I would part with is, is exactly what we've already talked about. Missouri can be better and we deserve better. And we deserve a state that everyone feels safe in, that they can thrive in and that their kids want to stay in. And I know that that is, you know, as a mom, one of the biggest things that I hear all across our state is my kids are leaving. They don't want to stay. They don't feel safe here. And, and I know as I'm aging, like I'm going to want to see my grandbabies if they, if I have any, you know, and, and I want a state that Everyone feels like they can thrive in. And I feel like we are so close to getting it. And, and it's not, you know, it's gonna take work, but it's not outside of the realm of my lifetime that we can be the state that I know that we can be, that we used to be, right? And so um what I would say to folks who listen to your show is don't give up yet. <laughs> and one of the things that makes me a Democrat, and I say this often. The, one of the reasons I'm a Democrat is because of the public policy that puts everybody first, that it doesn't matter where what zip code you're in or, or, or who your parents are. We all deserve a chance to thrive. There are so many folks that I believe in that I want to protect and fight for that make me a Democrat that don't have the opportunity to leave. And so those of us who sit in this place of privilege, it's our job to stay and fight. And it's our job to run for these offices and to engage and to knock doors and to volunteer and to give the little money that we can. And I know that there are so many folks who listen to your show that believe all the same values we do. And I just want to encourage folks, stay and fight with us because there are people who deserve it.
1: Thank you. You're exactly right. I mean, Democrats do have a message. Uh, we want people happy, healthy, and educated. And you just, you know, exemplified that. Uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you staying over in your hotel for a few minutes oh, absolutely <laughs> to it's meet nice with to me. And um, I'm so I'm so happy that you were able to speak with us. And I can't wait to to watch your campaign as you go. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yep. Have a great day.
0: Bye. Bye. Dirt Road Democrat is brought to you by the Heartland Pod, a mid-map media production. Producers are Adam Summer, Rachel Parker, and Sean Dillon. Theme music by Adam Summer. Host, Jessica Piper. Learn more at heartlandpod.com.